faith and 500 uh, also on prayer. Anybody surprised by that? I'm surprised by that. Um, so 2,000 scriptures on tithing, money, possessions, um, which is two times as many as the others. So what should a Christian's attitude toward material possessions be? You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to do a whole lot of research because it's, it's, it's found directly. Today we'll look at the last verse in this passage in Timothy where he explains what happens when we give. What's our reward for giving? When we're generous, what's the reward that we get? And Jesus weighs in on the same topic. Timothy addresses two different groups of people. Timothy addresses, check this out, two different groups of people. First, he address, uh, addresses the Christian poor. First, he says, to those who are poor, who are Christians, he says, be careful when you wish to be wealthy because the pursuit of wealth pierces your life with all kinds of heartache. Be careful about desiring. Then he actually goes on to teach that the real greatest source of wealth that you can ever have is contentment. And then there's another group that he teaches, which is the Christian rich. That would be us. That would be those of us who, according to the global standards or even American standards, uh, we are rich in this world. And to us, he says, tell them to be, to do good. Tell those people who are wealthy, Christians who are wealthy, that they should use their money to do good. He says they should be rich in good works, right? Not just their money, but their time. They should do good things. They should also be gracious to those in need and always being ready to share with other people. And what does he say the reward is for doing this? Does he say, he doesn't say this, this is important, he doesn't say, and when you do, you're going to feel pretty good about yourself. It's incredible. By the way, here's a little uh, soul-searching. Most of us, if we really diagnosed and we're honest with ourselves, we like to do good things or give away stuff because it kind of gives us a feeling of like, I, I, did a, I did the right thing. I am feeling less guilty, right? I'm soothing my own guilt. Or we might give because we save. Anybody, find, you don't have to raise your hand, but in December, people are like, I got to give stuff away. Why? Why in December? Anybody know? Because the tax man cometh. The tax man taketh away. He never giveth, just taketh away. And so there's a little sense of urgency, right, that I have a tax write-off so I can give for that reason. Or sometimes to kind of win some friends, build my reputation with people who know about my giving. What is the reward for giving? Paul doesn't describe any of that or even mention it. Here's what he says. Your reward for giving is a secure and future prosperity. Your prosperity is going to be in the future, not now. The reward is going to come later. It's going to be future. But that prosperity is going to be secure. It's going to be permanent. He uses this word. It's going to be eternal, everlasting, never stopping. So the wealth that you're investing in when you are generous is a wealth to come. It is an instant gratification. There is some delay. It's an investment. I'm assuming some of you are investing in your retirement. Sorry to bring up that topic right now in this economic situation uh, that we find ourselves in. But um, it's important for us to recognize that what we're doing is we're making small-ish investments, right? We're paying in to a long-term system, uh, a system in which the reward is going to come later. The reward, hopefully, is going to come later. 
We're trusting. We're um, kind of like betting that it's going to come later. So in a large part, this is the same thing. What we're doing now is small investments for what's going to come later. So um, here's what Timothy says. By doing this, by being generous, doing good works, by being ready to share with other people when they're in need, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. What does that mean? That you can be free from the bondage of wealth now because you're not bound by this wealth now and accumulating wealth now. You're actually uh, thinking about your life to come. So you live a true life and that you're, you're um, investing in the future. Now, perhaps this is in contrast to what was happening in Ephesus. The um, merchants that were in Ephesus, they would gather their earthly wealth no matter what they were gathering, and they would make deposits in the temple of the great goddess um, Artemis. And their wealth was getting tucked in and stored in the temple, hopefully winning favor over from the goddess. And you can imagine Paul here writing uh, to Timothy and saying, teach the church that they shouldn't be making investments in stuff like temples or goddesses and that their wealth should be invested. What they're aiming to do is to secure their wealth for some, un, uh, some otherworldly time period. And so, store up for yourself future treasure. Storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future. Freeing yourself to remain focused, freeing yourself to remain focused on God the giver, freeing yourself to remain focused on the most valuable of all of the gifts that God gives us, which is being with Jesus in eternity. And we're free to do that when we're not locked in and when we're not um, bound to gathering and accumulating more stuff. So what about Jesus? Did Jesus care about our treasure and wealth? Did Jesus say much about it? Did he say anything about it? What did Jesus say? Jesus talked more about money than we'd ever guess. He talked more about money than I'd ever guess, and I'm assuming more than you'd ever guess too. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament were referencing money, wealth, possessions. 25%. One in ten verses in the Gospels, I mentioned this deal with money. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount had a major piece that he was describing that if his disciples live this way, if his disciples live this way, the Sermon on the Mount was basically Jesus saying, if you live this way in the way that you address sex, money, and power, you, it would be life-changing. Not only your life, but it would be world-changing. The whole community would be transformed if you lived out these principles that I teach here in the Sermon on the Mount. They would literally become a new humanity. So, New principles, a new way to look at sex, money, and power. And Jesus teaches this. And here's what he says. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them, where rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. And if you do that, there will be no moths and rust, no mildew, that kind of erosion cannot destroy your wealth. Thieves can't break in and steal. Billionaire thieves who are crypto kings can't steal your loot. So if you're a Christian and you're spending your money on stockpiling stuff that can decay, I can't believe how many things that I have bought and stored in my... I'm talking about... 
things at the, let's say the thrifty shopper, and I've got a good chunk of clothing, put it in my basement, and it forever smells like my basement. And I think to myself, what a waste of $12. (laughs) Instantly, it starts to turn. Well, um, if you're a Christian and you're spending your money on stockpiling stuff that can be decayed or get lost or get stolen or otherwise um, start to decay, you're being advised here by Jesus that you're wasting your money on your own wealth because it's eroding and it obviously won't last and it certainly won't go with us after we've expired. The term store up, the term store your treasure, the term store doesn't simply mean of having possessions, it means your possessions having you. It... um, could be better translated as stockpile. Don't stockpile your possessions. You'll notice Jesus never says, don't have possessions. Right? I mentioned that last week. He doesn't say, if you're following me, you're taking, a, you're taking an oath of poverty. Instead, what he says is that your possessions, you, you have to make sure that you own your possessions and always monitor the possibility that your possessions own you. Um, Jesus warns against treasuring fragile items like your clothes. Back then, by the way, when Jesus was talking about your garments, when he was saying your clothes start to rot, he actually meant um, the reason why they would be concerned about moths destroying their clothing is because clothing was ornate back then. It was very expensive to make. It was very expensive to own. It was very expensive to maintain. And if you had a lot lot of clothing, it was because you're wealthy. And these people would store, they would stockpile their clothing and then come to discover that moths were eating it. And he was reminding them that if your wealth is invested in what you're, uh, what you're wearing, then you're going to discover pretty quickly that it's perishable or even smells mildewy in the rain, from the rain. Um, he would mention here that precious metals uh, are not worth investing all of your heart and soul into because they rust or spoil. Assets and wealth can be stolen. We just highlighted that last week that people, uh, um, and really... Not funny, but in a sad way, people's wealth had been lost and stolen this past week if uh, major investors in our um, crypto market. Jesus was not saying that it's wrong to have things. Anybody relieved by that? I'm relieved by that. I like, I like having a few things here and there. It's not wrong to have them. Jesus is never saying that. Instead, he's warning against materialism. He's warning that... Um, Things can become more important to God and that wise people, the true children of the, of the kingdom, genuinely um, put their treasures in places they cannot lose. They genuinely place their treasure in places that it will never wear out. They put their treasure where it can never be eroded. Their treasure is in heaven. It's safe and it's secure in heaven because that is... Being, it is located, it is treasuring Jesus in heaven. But here's a question. Why is Jesus focusing on this treasure topic? And this is going to be so important for us to grab a hold of. So if you took a listening off-ramp, look for the nearest on-ramp and tune in to what Jesus says right here when he says, I'm focusing on treasure and I'm going to, come to, I'm going to focus now right in, not on the topic of treasure, but I'm going to focus in on your heart. And I know there's a lot of us who are a little tentative to let people start poking around our heart, but this is Jesus. Of all people, His gentleness and His humility and His love for your benefit, this is for you. And aren't there there so many more important, I would think, subjects for Jesus to talk about? 
I mean, couldn't Jesus spend more time on oppression of the weak and the unwanted? Or even injustice and war, disease and death? He does speak on that, but He also makes time to talk very vividly and very pointedly. He has a lot to say about that, but His teaching on wealth offers serious disciples something called a treasure test. A treasure test. Many of you have heard this before. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit illuminates something fresh for you today. It's a test for finding where your heart is, what your heart desires most. It's pretty simple. It goes like this. Look what Jesus says. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You will find your heart where you spend your money. It's pretty simple. Would you agree? Pretty simple, but it's a complex maze to try to sort out What does that mean and how do I get any answers? Jesus is diagnosing here a heart problem. Money helps us detect a heart problem. Where is our hearts? We only have to look at where we spend. So why do we have heart and treasure problems? Right in the same passage that Jesus is teaching about um, treasure, same passage, Matthew chapter 6. Check this out. I mean, I'm, this is interesting to me. I hope it is to you. Your eye, this is right in the middle of his money teaching. Here's what he says. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light, right? You can see light. You can see very vividly and openly. You can see around you. Light allows you to see because the whole body is filled with light. You can see yourself Clearly. How many of you, over time, you've realized you need more and more light these days to see anything? Where are you? I'm raising my hand if you can't see me. I have my hand raised. So you... Light helps you see. But look what he says. Um, but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. What is he talking about? He's talking about severe blindness. He's talking about not just you're in a room, your eyes are able to see, and the light is dim. In that case, you can see dimly. He's talking about your eyes have gone dark. They've gone blank. There is no light. Therefore, it doesn't matter how much light is around you, you are in the darkest dark because your eyes don't work. Why is that important? It's important because when the whole body is filled with darkness, it's impossible to see. What's he saying? This is an illustration of Jesus that, he's, that Jesus is making while he's teaching on our wealth. What does that mean for us? Our blindness to our own greed is severe. This is what he's teaching. That our blindness that we have to our own greed is so severe, he calls, causes, calls it the darkest dark. It's the darkest dark. And severe blindness really shows up in many ways. I'm going to mention three. Severe blindness. Um, One of the ways that blindness shows up is that we can't really see our own greed. We can't really see our own greed. Um, My eyes are darkened so much that even though I can see many of my other sins, you know, the other seven deadly sins, there's, there's, um, there's a list of them. Those are easy to see. I can see clearly, and perhaps you've noticed this too, you can see your own lust if you, you can see your own wrath because everybody notices it when you lose your temper and you're full of wrath. You can see sometimes the way somebody is lying, envious. Um, you can certainly see adultery, right? I mean, nobody like wakes up the next morning and is like, whoa, you're not my spouse. That doesn't, that's obvious. 
People can see that and notice that. You can see that and notice that. But oh, even one of the seven deadly sins, even gluttony, over time, something starts telling you you're overdoing it, right? But there is a sin, the seven deadly sins, that most of us never see and never notice about ourselves. It's the sin of greed. We notice the greed of other people, right? We notice the greed of people who are doing better than we are, who are more well-off than we are, who own things. We see their greed, but no one ever sees their greed. I am hyper-aware. I don't know about you, but I am um, hyper-aware, I mentioned this earlier, of the times that my iPhone starts to slow down and I start to notice that other people have upgraded their phone, it might be time for me to upgrade my phone. I'm hyper-aware of all all of the um, ways in which I can help my phone get a little better, a little faster, and then eventually I need the new version. And eventually people become greedy because of the micro-decisions, the micro-wants that starts to stack up on one another, and we start to upgrade and upgrade and upgrade. Everything's new and improved, and we had what we needed, but now we need the new and improved one, and eventually this becomes overwhelming in ways that we never even see at the same time. Anybody remember this? Do you remember this? Um, This is a catalog. If you can't see this, this has service merchandise. Anybody remember the service merchandise catalog? Can we just observe a moment of silence for service merchandise? God rest its soul. I don't know if service merchandise is in purgatory or in heaven. I don't really know. But I remember this well. And the reason I remember this well, because this is one of the catalogs when it came around Christmas time that I took very seriously and would close myself into my bedroom and I would like lock in page by page around the Christmas season. You know what I was doing? Shopping. For who? For myself. And so when it came time to help my parents better grasp what kinds of things they could if they wanted to buy me for Christmas, I would literally submit to them a catalog. This is true. A catalog with all of the stuff very neatly circled that I preferred. It was a analog, hard copy Amazon wish list. Just submit it to them. I went from, I remember this, Toys R Us to service merchandise. From a kid to a junior higher, like now I need stuff from service merchandise. So I would circle it and then just hand it to them and just say, here's my, here's my wish list. And I remember my dad coming back one time and he was like, you, you know something I noticed about the catalog you gave, gave us? And I said, what? He said, there is something circled on about every page. I was like, Dad... I just wanted you to have a lot of ideas, just in case. You could never say, I didn't know what to get you. He's like, what are you going to do, by the way, with a motorcycle? You don't have a motorcycle license. (laughs) Just thinking ahead, Dad. Just thinking ahead. So, um, here's here's what's true. Not one time, of course, I was only young, probably in junior high, not one time while I was going through that catalog did I think to myself, this is a greedy thing to do. And i got to tell you, not only have I not thought of that then, I haven't really thought much about my own greed since then. In the small ways or the ways that it... um, You know that Jesus actually says in one of his teachings, he says, watch out for greed. Watch out for it. Why did he say that? Because he was alerting people that if I don't say this, you're not going to think about it. There's so many other sins he doesn't say watch out for. Because it's obvious. 
But here, in greed, we recognize that we don't show people our bank statements. No one ever does this. No one says, you know what, hey, while I got you, I got my bank statement here and a whole bunch of receipts. Would you mind, would you look through this and just, I just want you to answer this question, if you would. Am I spending too much? Nobody does that. And the reason we don't do that is because we don't want to ask that question, right? We don't want people to know the answer to that question. We don't want to know the answer to the question, am I spending too much? It's because our blindness to our own greed is very severe. There's another way that our blindness shows up, and that is that we can't see how rich we are. A very difficult time seeing how rich we are. It's quite possible that you live in a neighborhood where somebody around you has a little better home than you have. Their landscape is a little bit more highly uh, invested. They are probably have an extra bedroom or maybe there's an extra car on the driveway. And most of us get around people who have what we have only a little bit more. So we never think, you know what, I'm actually doing quite well. We actually often think to ourselves, I'm doing quite well, but not quite as well as someone else. And there's that urging and that nagging. A lot of people work around other people. And if you're successful, you work with other successful people. And it's quite possible that no matter what you make, somebody that you work with makes a little bit more. And we don't often think to ourselves, I know they make a little bit more, but I'm content with what I make. What we think is, I wonder why they're making more than me. And even, by the way, this is true, right? Even millionaires get around other millionaires who have more millions. Can you imagine a billionaire's club, how green those people must be? You've got what, billion? I wonder how many people think or actually um, consider themselves that I'm rich enough. Most people are surrounded by. I mean, do you remember being in a classroom, maybe in high school or college or, or whatever classroom you were in? Do you ever remember being around a classroom? And you would get your paper back or your test back and you'd see your grade and you look over to someone else's grade and it's higher than yours. I remember doing this and slowly covering your grade up. Of course, I, my classroom was full of people who were like, I got a 26. Oh my God. And I always thought, hey, that's, why, why are you holding that up? What is wrong with you? I am really stupid. I never understood that. And then people with like hundreds are covering it up and tucking it away, right? Like, I don't want to be mocked like I care too much or I'm going to succeed or these people are going to work for me one day. I mean, but I remember getting grades and looking around and seeing other people have better grades than me and covering my grade up because I, I, I would have preferred that grade. Now, on the financial side, most of us, here's my point, most of us cannot see how rich we are because our eyes are blinded. We're blind to our own wealth. So, what does that mean? That means I'm never content. That means um, I'm never content with what I own. I'm never content with what I make. And also, uh, blindness comes this way. I can't see how much money makes me choose the work that I choose. Let me say that again. I'm blind to how money causes me to choose the work that I choose. What do I mean by that? I mean that you think about this way. It's often that money is what forces us or we feel compelled to choose work that we don't really want or that we wouldn't really do, right? We get a job offer and we might think to ourselves, well, I know this job doesn't really add value to the world, to humanity. It doesn't, certainly doesn't add value to myself, but it's not legal and it's a little more money. It's not illegal and it's a little bit more money. 
We might think to ourselves, this doesn't really utilize my talents. This isn't a passion of mine. This isn't necessarily in my um, sweet spot here, but it's good money. Sometimes we think, this doesn't really uh, allow margins for me to rest and be present with my family, but, finish the sentence, it's good money. In other words, we're blind to how money forces us to do things we would never do on our own. How money forces us to make sacrifices and compromise we would never make uh, without the good money. So we start to think things like, I should take that job because it's good money. It's better money. Unable to see how rich we are. Unable to see our own greed. Unable to see how money makes us choose work in careers that we don't really like or we don't really want. We're unable to see that. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. We're blind to that. And here's what we learn. It's our spending that illuminates what our heart desires. We don't see it. We don't notice it. It's very difficult for us to find it. But if you're looking to locate your heart, follow your spending. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is why money reveals what controls us. It reveals what we really desire in life. Money is the best way to see a map that will take you right to your soul. It reveals it and illuminates it. Why is that important? Because Jesus ultimately says, get this, brace yourself. If you slipped off for your Sunday morning nap, come back. Now's the time. Now's the time. Here's what Jesus said. This is why this is important. Jesus, Jesus says this because he's, he's teaching this. Because you cannot. You have to see this. You have to follow the money and identify where your heart's at. Here's what he says. Because it is impossible to serve money. He says, mammon, which is the God of wealth, and also me. It's impossible. One will learn to loathe one and love the other. It's impossible. And there are people who try to do it, and Jesus, I imagine, says, you're not going to be able to. It's impossible to do it. You cannot serve your Creator God and the created material God. You cannot serve wealth and your God, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. So you're spending your money. This is what Jesus is saying. You're spending your money on the things, on the places that your heart is focused on, on the things that your heart desires. I mean, that's pretty clear. Thank you, Jesus, for being clear. If you want to see where your heart is, what it trusts, what it rejoices in, then see where your money goes so easily. Where does our money go so easily? I know for me, my money goes easily to my kids. I started to look into taking my boys to a Yankee game this past summer, and I was like, oh, holy moly, why don't they like the Syracuse Mets for crying out loud? We just go watch. Started to add it up, travel, trip, cost of the whatever, cost of tickets. And you know what I thought to myself? Let's do it. Easily. Why? Because it's my kids. I wouldn't have spent that on myself. You know why? Because I watch them on TV. It's good enough for me. Low maintenance. But the boys, let's go. We're going to cash in and spend it there. In fact, I've often thought to myself standing around at a one-year-old's birthday party, and I've looked at the cost, and I've thought to myself, wowza. One-year-old birthday party, that's a lot of loot for a kid who will never even know that they got a lot of loot. Stacks of gifts for the precious one-year-old who will... By the time he realizes he has it, won't even need it, right? Outgrew it. Why am I taking my five-year-old um, Christmas shopping? Why am I buying them 
10 Christmas gifts when they don't need 10 Christmas gifts? Why am I buying them 10 Christmas gifts again the next year, right? Why am I outfitting my kid? This is a crack up too when, when um, we so effortlessly sign our kid up for t-ball and then outfit them with $200 worth of baseball gear right? Why? Why is that? Because our heart is with our kids and our money flows so easily and naturally to our kids. By the way, I'm not saying that stuff is, I'm saying this, this is, what I'm trying to say is, if you want to know where your treasure is, it, where does your money flow so freely and so easily? That's what it shows us, and that's where we learn it. Um, it just flows out from us so effortlessly, Right? Some of you might better, it might better resonate with you when you think about the spending that you put into yourself. Why am I making a daily trip to the drive-thru for a coffee drink I could make at home? Why am I doing that? Why am I spending? This used to be funny because the joke would be, well, you get those fancy coffees and you're spending $5. Like anybody would love to go back to spending $5 on the fancy coffee? You add the tip in there, right? And you're bringing a friend with you and you're like, good gracious. But for a lot of us, it's so effortless to spend that money. It's just like pouring it out the window. We don't even think about it. Or we think about it occasionally, but we never really seriously consider what it's revealing. I've heard some people say, look, I had a book-buying problem. It's not because I had some kind of infatuation with books. It's because I like to read up and be knowledgeable about every topic in case somebody asked me, I would be able to give a reasonably thought-out, educated answer, and they would be impressed with me. Other people who so effortlessly spend on their appearance, and they spend on their appearance, and they say, and they, it might, you might think to yourself, why am I spending on my appearance? For some, it is this need to beautify, this need to uh, upgrade their appearance. They have some kind of uh, devotion to the image that people perceive of them, the image that they have for themselves, or somehow this compel, compelling drive to enhance an attractive image. And the costs that are going out to pay for that are non, are effortless, easy. So here's what I'm asking you to consider. To find your heart, you follow the spending map, and you're asking yourself this question, what things do I spend easily on? For a lot of people, I know they spend easily on their house. I, I can't believe how easy it is for me to spend at Costco. I've mentioned this before, but I'm really starting to learn that I don't need anything until I get to Costco, and then I realize I, there's a lot that I need. There is. And then when I get up to the counter, I'm like, I'm, this is not going to be that bad. This is probably a $45, $55, $60 dollar dent. How much am I spending in my cart? You know this. If you go there, it's just $285. And then I'm like, I've got a math problem. Why can't I do the math? I thought I was saving $285, not spending $285. But I like discounts. I like bargains. I like wholesale prices. So you know where I spend the easiest? Costco. You know why? Because I'm saving money. Dummy, do the math. No, you're not. So um, keep in mind, that there's also the possibility that it's, for, for some of us, we most easily spend in our own savings account. And you might be saying, naturally, that's not really spending. But if it's saving, 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 and never giving, if it's saving, 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 and never meeting a need, 
then it's possible that we follow our heart all the way to this idea that we feel insecure and don't necessarily trust that God's going to provide everything we need so that the more I have, the more secure I am, the more control I have over my own life. I can control the dings and the damages and the bruises and the uncertainties. And I follow my heart all the way to the fact that I control my own life and I have very little trust for God providing for me. How do I know that? Because I can only save and never give. My stinginess reveals... I'm confident, really, I trust mostly in myself. And so, money might make me feel like I'm in control of my life. So if you want to find out what drives you, you ask yourself, does money effortlessly flow out? Does my money effortlessly flow out to the poor, the homeless, to God's work in the world, my own local church, as God builds him, his, his own body through a life-giving local church. Our money flow reveals for real the things that we treasure the most. Um, why should I get serious about locating my treasure? I mentioned this. I want to come back to it. No one can serve God if they're enslaved to their money. And for a lot of people, it's like, you know, I, it's amazing that I've been trying to really develop my faith. I've been really trying to kind of like learn and grow, but um, I even see some people singing and they seem like they really mean it, and I like to sing that way too, and I'm not quite sure where God is. I keep praying, God, help me, God, come to me, God, visit me, God, energize me, whatever, and I'm not quite sure where God is. It's quite possible that we are finding ourselves more often bowing at the God of wealth than we are bowing at the God of the universe, and we are actually... Actually, our heart is in bondage to serving our own material wealth and possessions, and as a result, our heart is hardened to what God wants to do and the way God wants to intervene. So, is this true? Is it true that no one can serve God if they're enslaved to their money? Well, Jesus said no one can serve two masters. It's impossible to do. For you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So how do you break this? How do you break possessions and wealth and money? How do you break the power over us? Well, first we have to locate our treasure, right? You have to just mention this a lot. Follow the money. Follow your spending. And if you treasure earthly, earthly things, here's what we learn. We never really feel like we have enough. We'll always feel like compared to others, I'm insecure. Compared to others, I'm weak. Compared to others, I'm poor. Compared to, compared to others, I'm ugly. These desires for beauty and power and control will eat you alive as it never satisfies because there's so, always somebody more powerful, more wealthy, or more beautiful than us. So we're constantly like, more to go. I need more. Have to have more. And eventually... It eats us alive. You see the slavery? That's the slavery. It never satisfies. So after we locate our treasure, then we relocate our treasure. Then we do a transplant of our heart's desires, and we aim to be more devoted to treasuring God's kingdom and treasuring Jesus, who is securely yours in heaven. Jesus is the ultimate treasure, and believing in Jesus, this is so important, believing in Jesus is not the same as treasuring Jesus. Believing, not the same as treasuring. Jesus, your treasure, ultimately, never decays. Jesus, your treasure in heaven is always enough. 
With this kind of wealth, it's not insecure, it's not fragile, and with this kind of wealth, it frees us from earthly treasure. Jesus says, unless you have me, all of your other treasures, all of your other treasures will be lost. They'll be decayed, they will be stolen, or they will be lost. Or one day, they will... um, They will remain here in the ground or on the ground with you. So, and you see why Jesus came to earth. Like, Jesus had all the heavenly wealth. Why would Jesus give up all this heavenly wealth? Why would he give up his position? Why would he give up something that was being equal with God wasn't something that he wanted to hold on to? But why would he let it go? Because he was pursuing that which he loved, and he was pursuing you. He forfeited his riches to come down and make himself known to you and I so that we could be rich with a heavenly treasure, with an eternal treasure. And we find our new wealth in being known by Jesus and knowing Jesus personally. And it brings you heavenly riches. It brings you meaning. It brings you heavenly value. And then we're less addicted to riches we're less addicted to finding meaning on earth and, and value on earth and more compelled to find that in heaven. So here's what you can do now, really quick. Look for practical ways to consistently give. And you could do that to God's church globally. We have so many missions opportunities for you to give to. Michelle, who hosted this morning, is a missionary to um, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, serves in their leadership capacity there and is reaching athletes We have a whole list of missionaries that we partner with. We just mentioned Convoy of Hope, Operation Christmas Child. There's so many ways that we can give on a regular basis to help expand God's kingdom. You could start right here in your own local church that is completely dependent on the giving of members who belong to Jesus and belong to this church who just give open-handedly and generously. And some people give what's called a tithe, which represents 10% of uh, first fruit of income, where somebody says, I'm going to have a minimum, I'm going to give a minimum amount faithfully of my income as just a kind of a minimum guideline to help me give regularly. And the Bible says 10%. And some people say, 10%, 10% of my wealth. I heard one commentator say, if Jesus gives 100% of himself and saves 100% of your life, and to you becomes 100% of your greatest treasure, 10% doesn't seem like much. If we have 100% of ourselves that Jesus has given, uh, 10% of Himself that Jesus has given to us. So your impact on people when you learn to grow your ministry of giving makes a difference. Look what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. When you are a giver, the needs of the believers In Jerusalem, the other church will be met. You'll meet needs. You'll be someone who's meeting needs. And also, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. They they might say, hey, I'm going to write you a little thank you note, thanks for giving. But for sure, they're going to say, this could only be God who's meeting my needs. How many of you would say this? This is risky to do, but I'm going to try it. How many of you can think of a time in your life where you didn't know how it was going to happen, but you needed something and it showed up? Somehow, God found a way to provide it to you. This is you. This is you. The needs, if somebody gives, eventually the needs are met, and then they're like, thank, did you say that? Did you say, thank God? I had no idea how that landed here. No idea. But God knows, and God sends, and He does it. And He does it through the generous giving of people who belong to His family. See how that works? It's amazing. 
There's an immediate impact on other people. He meets the real needs in God's church, and he causes other people to give thanks to God. So your church is one place where you're able to invest your time. You know, there's teams of people here, and you see them. You see music team. You see kids team. You see, I'm sure a lot of you see the coffee team most, right? There are people who serve on teams, and uh, some are on student ministry teams. Some are on our tech team, hospitality team. You can serve your church through investing your time. And tonight we'll learn at an information meeting how we can give our time to foster kids who are desperately in need of temporary short-term parents, caregivers. What would that take? Generosity. Open-hearted, open-handed, open home. Sacrificial giving of our time. You can serve a church partner with your time. Rescue Mission, of course, is always uh, looking for volunteers, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and every day in between. Um, I know Dr. Rich's Emmaus Clinic um, volunteers there. Yep. Free Eye Clinic for people that are, find themselves in desperate need. New Hope Family Services. You can volunteer. There's so many ways that we can give our time there to God's church and help Him expand the work that He's doing. And you can invest your talent. So many single or struggling parents in our church need your help. If, if you're a gifted at something, it's amazing how many people would need something that you're gifted at. By the way, if you're gifted at cooking... I'm going to leave you my address before we leave here. People who are gifted at cooking, you know, maybe some of you have received a meal when you weren't sure how you were going to be able to provide a lot of meals for you or your own family during a time of surgery or job loss or health condition and so on. And so many of our church family have stepped up and said, I can cook a bit or I, can, I know how to buy a gift card that goes to help somebody um, find something, get something to eat. Some people are gifted at creating, designing, gifted at building, singing. Somebody needs your gift that God has given you to help build His church. Members are givers because they invest their treasure, right? I mentioned that some people give regularly through a a, a tithe. Then other people add to that tithe and they give regularly to missions. I mentioned all the, the, the different kinds of missions, missionaries that we partner with. And it's important that you spend time, just pray and ask God, how much can I give to missions? Every little bit adds up. If 10 people gave $10 once a month, we could add $1,200 worth of world giving to send, help send and support missionaries, both here in our area and around the world. There's offering needs above and beyond tithing and missions and offering. Uh, um, There's offering needs where there's needs that show up where people need something. Uh, a while back, we asked you to give to our kids' space, and we built a beautiful kids' space with lots of um, functionality and, and a lot of um, potential. Kids' programs. And you know what the word benevolence is? It's giving to somebody who's in need. And a lot of times, we have access to people who are in need that you don't have access to. And if you give regularly to benevolence, we're able to help somebody whose house had a terrible um, flood, and we're able to help them. Or something similar. We have a preschool that um, we can invest in through our offerings. So how do you give? There's give boxes there on the wall. Those boxes there have envelopes that go in them to indicate where you want your giving to go. And also on our church app, there's a give button. On our church website, there's a give button. Everybody knows those now. You see them everywhere you go. There's so much to give to. And here's what I'm asking you to consider. There are practical ways to let the flow 
of generosity go, time, talent, and, and treasure. And as that starts to flow more naturally, you start to learn, ah, I'm doing this. Why? Because I see my security and my real treasure is my own Savior in heaven. And one day that will be my reward. This stuff here matters to me very little. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, speaking, teaching, growing us. Thank you that you um, aren't skipping in the Scriptures, that you don't skip topics that our heart is averse to. Thank you that you don't skip um, truths that our ears don't want to hear. We're grateful that you use the truth and you use it in love to mature us in Jesus. We pray today that in and among all of the hardships and heartaches and distractions of our lives, we pray today that you would teach us, grow us, mature us, we ask. And we pray that you would do it in your way, in your timing. Speak to the hearts of our people to be generous people. Givers, 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 instead of getters, getters, getters. We're grateful, God, for all that we have. We pray that you'd mature us and grow us up to get beyond gratitude into generosity. We thank you for it today in Jesus' strong name.